wants to submit. Access that, yeah, yeah, for sure. Fantastic. So coming towards the end of the interview now, um, and not to end on a really angry note, um, (laughs) because I don't want to talk about things that are just purely enrages. (laughs) So I kind of wanted to, I wanted to talk about the relationship between your poetry, your writing, and and your myriad other forms of creative making, because you're illustrating and painting and drawing and sculpting and collaging and embroidering these fantastic mushrooms at the moment which sound really (laughs) extremely exciting and it's a wonderfully various practice um, with deep roots and many many branches so I'd be really interested to know if you feel that these different aspects of your creativity spring from the same source I mean, if they have a kind of symbiotic relationship, if they're kind of feeding off each other, or if they're, in some ways, they're competing for energy and attention. And do you ever feel sort of overwhelmed by the sheer profusion and intensity of your creativity? Because I feel exhausted by the sheer profusion and intensity of my creativity, and mine is not even at a level that is the same as yours. You are a waterfall. I am like a trickle from the coffee dispenser. The waterfall as well. No, it's it's exhausting because I've always had a massive drive to empty my head, mm. and I always wonder at what point my head will ever be empty, and I'm, I haven't even hit it yet. Um, so every day just feels like a, you know, you have to empty your head of these ideas that just so many ideas I mean life's amazing and everything makes me think about 25 other things which makes me think about 25 other things I can't even look at a pair of curtains without you know things just just going on so your head is full I mean my head's a separate entity like that film what's the film I think it's a, um, I can't remember where it is, where the people, their heads come off and, and they float away and their heads are like these cerebral things and their bodies are like these base things that just carry on. Um, I can't remember which film it is. It might come to me later. Um, but I feel like that, like the head's just this separate thing and it just keeps thinking these things. And I just think, oh, it's, God, it's full, it's full, it's full. My head is full again. Mm. I've got to take some stuff out. And I have to take some stuff out and make some space and then almost instantly the space is filled again with something else but I think that it works in in very separate ways um obviously creativity is creativity no matter what you're doing fundamentally whether it's writing or drawing or whatever but the poetry takes all the intensity and the pain and the realism the poetry it's all the knives and nails mm. and the, the noise and the rattling things and the injustice and the opinions. The poetry takes the brunt of that. That's where it goes. And I don't deliberately think I'm going to channel that there. It just seems to be that is the right medium mm. for removing that part of my head at that time. The art... It's just all about how beautiful things are, Mm. the beauty of things, the pleasure of things, the beauty of colour, of pattern, of painting nature or painting people or painting animals. It's just purely pleasure, absolute pleasure. 
thought, I don't tend. I mean, I have once in a blue moon painted something that's, you know, dark, mm. but it's very, very rare that any darkness gets channeled into the art, you know. Um, and I think that a separate part of me goes into that. Um, I mean, there's a line in one of the poems in Be Feared where I say the garden is where I waste my tenderness. Mm because I love gardening too and all the love the overwhelming touching feelings that I have an urge to put on people which obviously I know I can't because everyone has boundaries and I know I can be very overwhelming um, so I take my physical physicality and my feelings that I am overwhelming mm. and I put it into the gardening um, so that's another it's like pulling parts of yourself away and each of these um each of these brackets of art take a different part of me away and then obviously the embroideries they're something that comes when uh, I'm at the end of everything and I'm you know I'm very stressed and I'm very agitated and I just have an urge for the simple act of sewing mm. the in and out the repetition of the sewing, the act of sewing itself. I mean, yes, you can then sew pretty things or whatever, um, but the complexity of embroidery stitches, some of them are incredibly complex, mm. like the bullion knot and things like that. And I just repeat them. And that takes a lot of the stress out of myself. And I feel just emptied when I've sewn. So it's not so much about making it, the act of repetition is mm. beautiful in sewing. So that takes like another part of myself away. Um, so they they all they're all very very necessary. I couldn't choose one. He said you can only do one thing. I mean, if I had to, if my back was against the wall and I had to choose one, it would have to be poetry mm. because. I can absorb feelings of beauty. What I cannot keep absorbing is what comes out into the poems. That, yeah. that has to leave you or it become very toxic, I think, for you if you didn't have an outlet for those kind of emotions. So they're sort of all necessary, but it's kind of separate, which is, mm. which is strange. But I have to do each of them at different times for different needs. Mm. They're fulfilling, they're responding to different needs. I, I get that poetry gets the knives. I feel, yeah, that's yes. all, the, all the stuff that you can't process any other way. It's mm -hmm. the only form. I think all language is kind of just the imperfect way of straining all of this shit. Um, lived experience and trauma, all language is like that, but poetry is the best and the closest we've come to being able to yes. contain and, and articulate that. And I don't know why that is, but it it just it just is. I think poetry just does that. I mean, I don't know what the explanation. I'm sure somebody mm. could explain it br brilliantly, but I can't. It's just that is where all that stuff goes. Mm. And and poetry is the perfect perfect bucket to throw those feelings in. It just really is. Yeah, yeah. it is. I mean, I went, I, I tried to sort of, because I did my PhD looking at sort of poetry and grief and trauma. And I, I spent a long time trying to investigate why poetry and why the kind of poetry that I do in particular. And I spent, you know, like four years trying to figure out why. And I, I still don't know why. 
in fact, I somehow managed to, I, I know less and I'm less sure now than when I went in, but it does. And it's, I, I'm just happy that it is working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. So, so to kind of, to, to finish off, I, I wanted to mention um, a little bit about um, neurodiversity, particularly as a kind of motor for um, creativity and the extent to which your late diagnosis has helped you to kind of contextualize and articulate some of what's just some of the stuff you've just been talking about that kind of the need to empty the head and to do to have this kind of extremely various extremely prolific practice mm -hmm. well I think in a nutshell really what I have said to you now before the diagnosis, I would not have been able to say mm. to you. I mean, it's been a couple of years now. Um, I think it's almost been a couple of years. I can't remember. I could look it up, but I forget because dates aren't so important. Mm. But I've spent a long time learning how to articulate what it is I am actually feeling mm. um and the way I've just spoken to you is the result of you know a couple of years of thinking you know mm. thinking 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 it's not just something that sort of popped out of my mouth now it's it's something that's you know it's given me permission to have these thoughts mm. whereas before I didn't think they were thoughts I had permission to have. I didn't have permission to access it or travel along these lines because that's not me. But then you get this diagnosis and, you know, your counsellors and your family, you know, your, 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 your pets even, mm. your mirror, they, they see a you that no one else sees. Mm. Um, because, you know, when I learned about cloaking, how we cloak mm. ourselves, I mean, that caused me at least a fortnight of extreme distress because I felt like I was being hit with feelings I didn't know I had mm. until I read that and knew that that's what I do. And it gave me permission to grieve and cry because I know when I look back, I've been doing that Um so there's a heck of a lot of processing going on now and looking back and, and thinking, you know, I, I did that. Um, and until somebody named it, I didn't know I was doing it, mm. which sounds silly. Like you say, surely you knew you were doing it. But it's no, because I didn't know it had a name. Yeah. I didn't know it was a thing um, until you start sort of looking um, and researching into yourself. And then being very honest with yourself, you know, and, and I thought oh, all the years I've tried to write and I've tried to use the correct punctuation, I've tried to use good grammar, I've tried to learn good grammar and learn punctuation, I've tried to put those building blocks in. And now I think, hell, they're not in, so fuck, excuse my French, don't mm -hmm. care. If they're not in because it's me the me who i am is the me who writes how she writes so it, it has changed my writing massively 
in that I'm still the same person who loves words and loves a beautiful image or a metaphor or a simile and just has such a pure joy in her writing. That's still me, but it's me free mm-hmm. um, since then. Um, so I'm going to write poems that don't even have punctuation because that is how little it's meant to me in my life. And instead of feeling bad about that mm-hmm. or ashamed of that, oh, no, I'm <laughs> going to celebrate that. And no one's going to tell me I shouldn't. Um, and you think, you, you, yes, obviously, people love grammar. It, it's got its place, obviously. I'm not going to denigrate people who love grammar. But on the other hand, <laughs> the grammar police, you know, when you go on a website where people are mocking yeah. somebody's yeah. grammar, like an apostrophe in the wrong, oh my goodness, this is just terrible. And they all have a titter about it. And I think you don't know what that person's education's been. Mm-hmm. You don't know what that person's mental health issues are. You don't know what that person, how that person sees life. And if he's put an apostrophe in the wrong place or not used one, so what? Mm-hmm. That doesn't affect you. You use exactly the kind of apostrophe you want to use, but leave that person alone until you've walked in that person's shoes. They're not a source of mockery. And I find that it crosses a line into mockery. You're mocking a human for a mistake you think they've made, whereas they might not think they've made it. So that is something that runs through my new work. Um, And some of it is very, I mean, I have, I have changed a lot of it since you last read the man. I have to send you this again because it is in a constant state of flux. It has to stop fluxing because it's going to have to go to the printers at some point. But it's this, it's this new broom. It's the new, it's the sweeping, it's the tools. And they, every time you just think, yes, that's, that's so much how I wanted to say it. I didn't even know, I didn't even know this a week ago. Um, I mean, one of the poems is an absolute praise poem to a funny little picture I saw. It was before lockdown, so it will have been a couple of years ago. I went to Miss Olmroyd. I've probably mispronounced it, near Hebden Bridge, and I went to a little reading there, and it was in a church hall, and there was this amazing picture of a pair of trowels, ceremonial trowels mm. that had been used to lay some foundation stone or something. It was just a really funny little photo. And at the bottom, it just said the ceremonial trowels used that, but they put trowel apostrophe S. And I fell in love with that picture and no one was there to see. And I put my cheek against that picture and I told it I loved it. And it made me happy. And I just thought if I could take this picture home, I would and I would hang it on my wall because this is everything that someone might mock, but everything that is right to me about being human and being who you are and a mistake is only a mistake if someone believes it's one yeah and who's who's to say what a mistake is um and i'm not saying we shouldn't try and teach i mean but you know i'm saying i'm going to say try and teach correct what's correctness what is correct to you know everyone's so unique and different and i just wrote this massive praise poem about this rogue apostrophe um, and I'm being interested to know how some of these poems go down, to be honest, for their absolute celebration. Mm. 
and rebellion against rules of any sort of kind. Um, so, um, you know, that's all happened since my diagnosis. Um, I mean, there's a lot of darker stuff where you have to keep trawling back through your life and look at it again with a fresh pair of eyes and understand things, why, why you did certain things, you know, and what the result of them were, you know, why you used to scream, why you used to sweep all the pots off the drain, but why you used to hammer the cupboards with a potato masher and leave great big divots in them, and why you used to make, you know, and, and why did you used to sit up and scream, and, and things like that, you know, there are, there are darker sides to it, obviously, um, but it's going to take a long time to to bring all that to the fore and obviously, you know, touching on the, the breakdown of family relationships, the rejection of my family makes some kind of sense now. And um, the fact that they, <laughs> there's money, someone at the door. I like the last bark there when you said, have you stopped? Woof. Woof, yeah, no, I haven't. No, I've been. stopped. Yeah, what one of one of my dogs, the little the, the little girl one, she's much more barky. And she does that, you'll say shh, shh, shh. and then five seconds after the last shush, woof. Yeah, exactly. Just, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still here, Mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so yeah. Just agreeing with you, I think. He's agreeing with you. Yeah, I think so. So so re-examining the the breakdown of, of family my relationship with my mother and, and things like that um has been extremely difficult um and I suppose you know I've, I've been the sort of the weird one the funny one all the stories they used to tell remember when Jane used to go to piano lessons and ignore the teacher for an hour and stare at a spot at the ceiling mm -hmm. and and things like that and they you know it was funny to them but obviously it's not really funny. It was just something that was missed um, completely um, for me. And, you know, I don't know if those relationships can ever be repaired because we're no longer in contact. I don't even know where they live. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's one of those impossible things. And if they couldn't accept me then, what would change now in a way? Um, so that is yet another thing that has to be looked at with these new eyes that I feel like I've been given um, and I think it's just it's just getting more open about it it's taken a lot of courage to be more open about it because you know the first people I told said no you're not you're not you know and blotting it it went very sort of bad and it put me off telling anybody because mm. you know there's not many people I have on Facebook who've met me in real life and you know, you, you see the sort of sanitize me. I've been, I've become very good with the delete button, you know. And, if, and sometimes I write these yeah. terrible statuses, and I will delete them, mm. um, or I'll delete them after an hour, or they make me feel uncomfortable, so I delete them. Um, so they're seeing a sort of sanitized me. Um, they don't, they don't see the difficulties because you, you don't. You know, you don't film them, put them up, you know, the difficulties you're having and the difficulties in your relationships and, and the mm -hmm. everyday, you know, you don't see those, um, you know, but, you know, this is hopefully 
the start of me becoming much more confident and open about it. So, so you know that that's the influence is is the honesty it's given the the admission of it and the honesty and and then becomes a celebration too. Yeah. I think of it, you know, dark and light. Yeah. yeah, definitely, and just the the sheer sort of exuberance and the beauty that you're able to find, and the the fact that you have a totally unique perspective that you don't think like everybody else. It's you know, I mean, Kidda, my brother, is also um, autistic, and he. You know, I don't know anyone with a mind like that, <laughs> for good or ill. You know, he's the way he puts thoughts together, the way he forms thoughts, the way he maps meaning onto the world is completely different. And it's also completely different from me, who have my own issues, which um, <laughs> are diplomatically referred to as issues. <laughs> but it makes you who you are, and it's a place where poetry comes from, and it's also something that poetry interacts with and deals with. and it's a place you can put all that yes yeah it's it's kind of connected to that so it's it is it's simultaneously terrible and wonderful which at least it's not king boring <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to resort to writing like terrible poems about where I went on my holiday to Tuscany and the red wine I had as the sunset in the you know I'm not I'm not forced to doing that because that that to me would be would be death you know yeah I mean, it's, it's helping me celebrate the, the smallness of my life because it is quite a small mm. life. I do realise that, especially since the pandemic, um, where apart from obviously the, 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 the horror of the deaths and the worry and, and the, the, the terrible, terrible, you know, thing that it is, goes straight alongside of me never having been happier. Yeah. Because... I haven't had to go anywhere. The streets have been empty. Um, the shop, I mean, it's, it's becoming different now. It's becoming the same yeah. sort of stressful place that it was before. But, um, you know, I haven't had to worry about my son going anywhere because they haven't been allowed to go anywhere. So all the murder, death worries, the road crash worries that attach, the minute he leaves the house, I, I have to, I have to, absolutely sit in front of a wall of fear and pain and terror mm. which you might think I'm exaggerating but I'm not mm. until he sets foot back in the house I've been spared that um I've been spared worrying about my husband going taxi driving I don't have to stay awake till 5am for a click in the door mm. which says he's, he hasn't been bumped on the head and or crashed or something, you know, th all those things were removed and that's never happened for so long. I mean, 19 years I've been married and my son's 17 and that's a lot of years mm. to hold and not realise you are never getting the break from those relentless worries. So they were removed and I think that's freed up. It sounds awful because, you know, that there was a all these narratives on Facebook, you were either supposed to be massively creative, look what I'm doing, yeah. or you were supposed to be down on the people who were being creative. Mm. Oh, they're, they're terrible, they're not real, they're not really feeling it because they're not um, totally tied up and, and unable to create. Mm. 
So there were two, seemed like there were two camps. You were damned if you did and you were damned if you mm. didn't. And I didn't like that. I used to see it a lot on social media, you know, the person who's baking and putting up recipes. And I think, well, ultimately, they're just trying to survive in their own way as mm. well. You know, and if, if, if they are spurred on to create, to get fit, to bake, to paint a wall, I don't know, good for them. If you cannot do those things, then that's fine too. But it was the fact that these people were saying, you should be doing all this creating. And these people were saying, you shouldn't be doing all this creating. You should be suffering and unable to create. Create, don't create. And it became really strange. And I just thought, I'm checking out of both these narratives. And I am just going to be who I am and survive in my own way. Which was just to, just to keep doing and doing and doing because I was free for the first time in more than a decade of, of feelings I didn't know I was suffering from. Yeah. Um, so that had a big impact on the writing as well, I think, and on the art, which got progressively happier and happier, happier and happier mm. and brighter and more colourful. Um, I mean, I've written about it in a poem, you know, and to say that you are happier than you've ever been in the middle of something mm. so horrific Yes, I do wonder what people are going to think of me for mm. saying that, you know, because that's going to make some people think I'm a terrible person. Mm. But I am very separate from my feelings mm. because I'm autistic. I am not going to feel things the same way. I have to try to feel things sometimes with regard mm. to other people, not myself. I can, you know, wax lyrical about myself till the cows <laughs> come home. Yeah call me selfish I don't know but you know when mm. when you're on you, you, I like to go through Facebook on my phone because I use predictive text to make you sound like a human being you know and and you have to make yourself care sometimes which which is difficult admissions but I'm not going to tell you everything's positive about me Mm. Yes, I do love. If I love, it's horrific as well. It's like, a, it's like an overwhelming, it's like throwing a kind of orange paint against a white wall. You know, that's what being loved by me is. It's just as terrifying, <laughs> really. So it touches mm. on things like that as well. Um, and, and I'm writing another collection after this as well, which is, is, is digging even deeper, I suppose, into, into those kinds of feelings too. That's not awful. <laughs> it's not awful. It's, you know, I, I think that a lot of people listening are also going to be able to identify with that, with that, you know, people, everyone has their own feels, like you were saying earlier, you know, and we don't know what's going on in someone else's life. We can't possibly know. People have all these judgments and yeah. all these kind of like prescriptive little lists of behavior and assumptions, but nobody knows what's going on. And the stuff that we, we like to think that we know what's going on because we can see a version of that person, but who puts the orange paint at the white wall stuff online? Who puts the terrible hours of accumulating darkness? No, nobody, or, you know, you do, and then people tell you they don't like it, so you take it away and you feel bad about it and you feel bad about yourself. But nobody is seeing that. It's only a 10th of the iceberg that's ever showing. And I think to have this discussion, it's, it's actually a really powerful and positive thing for other people. And it's wonderful that you were able to come and have this conversation with me. I feel, you know, really kind of privileged and like that it's actually important and it's important for other people too. So thank you so much. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me on and listening. <laughs> it's been fantastic. Um, you're going to read some poems to read us out, yeah? Yes. Well, what should I do? Should I? Because I've, I've read the um, the Be Feared one, mm. um, and then I had Earmark three, but I didn't want to overread, so I don't know. I mean, should I just read them and you three can is perfect. Them? Three is a perfect number of poems. Right, right. Okay. So, so this poem was written um, about a beautiful um, Methodist church. I say beautiful because they're usually incredibly unbeautiful, but I see the beauty of them. Um, I mean, I was raised a Methodist. I went to Sunday school every Sunday. I was a brownie. I was a guide. Um, so they have a place in my heart, you know, for good or for bad or for both. Um, so when I see one, I can immediately picture the plain white walls, the unadorned cross, you know, the swirly red carpet, the plain pews, you know, that it's very redolent for me. Um, and when when I moved to um, to our, our, our winter home in, in Ledgate in County Durham, um, which is a, a, an ex-mining village, and around the corner from our house was this Methodist chapel. And I thought, wow, maybe I should go. Maybe I should, you know, go to a service every now and then. Um, and it had been closed. It was it was closed. Um, it had been closed down like most churches are these days. And, and now it's, it's, an, it's an office. It's been sold on and it's an office. So I would never have the chance. But I used to try and peer through the windows and push the door. Um, so I wrote this sort of poem, um, which was in inspired by that situation. It's called Look at Me, Lingering Outside This Murdered Church. Open your lids, you cold, smut, bitter thing. Undraw the blind that your plunged doom has set in the lead of your eyes. Too many years of chimneys licking their filth on your bricks. Nobody comes to pluck at your weeds. Look at the pair of us, our cabins unused. Methodists didn't build for beauty. Face like a mortuary slab, barren grim of harsh white walls. Let me in and I'll sing you some saints. God, for me, has not been enough. If I am to believe, daub me some vivid grief, gouge this wasted cave with a burning of sacred hearts. I will treat this bare render with my own crude litter of faith. You were laboured, foundations up by your devout, by the skill of women and men they met and worshipped past the plain small wealth of the humble plate. Against your shell, I hear the memory of Sunday school, feel the holy flattening of my arse after hours spent pressed to the hardwood seat, colouring between the lines of gentle Jesus, playing with the brittle thin of simple twisted palm. Thus we were made by a plain religion, 
I crave the gibber of rosaries, the veils, the fondant of communion gowns, the thurible swinging the fume of dedication up, the wailing visions of virgins smolt, the tabernacle with its myth of saviour's blood. My prayers will splatter your emptied crypt with a mess of devotion. My hymns are huge. I am an exorcism. I'm here to spew my devils at your altar's feet. Did not expect to find the slam and hasp of ailing Gothic doors. I make what I think is the requisite sign, poking my relic of belly and tip. An empty cross to show that I already suffered and won. Open up, you barred and bolted thing. Oh, that's wonderful. That's that one. Um, and this next poem was inspired by a real life situation where um, last spring we fought a fire that had started mm. on the site here. Um, and had took a hold of one of the cabins and there was nobody on the site but us. So me and my husband and my stepson and my son, we went and fought the fire and it kind of inspired this poem. Self-portrait as an inferno. I saw the birthing of a crazy phoenix. Saw it raise hackles of fire, span bright wings of pain, sear the night with a flock of sparks. It made a spear of embers and flew its pyre into the night, crackled with vicious feathers, spat its language of waste from an orange tongue. I looked square in its red cleft beak, saw a gizzard drunk with boiling doom, saw it arm the flu of its neck with bellyfuls of apocalypse. This blistered bird pegged talons to my cheeks and infiltrated every breath with filth. I've had uglier meat than you down my scalded throat, I crowed and beat my voice against the smouldered void. My pupils rolled wide as dark wheels. I wore the shape of flames upon my eyes, doused greedy tinder beneath each blink, met its furnace and found that I was not afraid. I've been through worse, I hissed into its scorching ear, then watered vessels full and bore it a cure of moon bucket pools to quench its rage, wore its shroud of vengeful smoke like my own defiant coat. I cursed it in its own kindled speech, grew hooded with dust, tasted reeking night and lapped the dry well of my parchy mouth, looked towards my aftermath of filthy hair and frowned the colour of fumes. I saw the mark of evil flight upon my skin, was alive through the night, had flickered with angels, made a soiled font of my face. I was an echo of waste built from tomorrow's cold remains. And the last one um, I'm going to read 
is one where I mentioned before about the, the menial minutiae of life can become a sort of metaphor for so much else. This is Mrs. Mother, hail. Mrs. Mother, blessed art the window panes. Oh, keep from, keep us from the lure of dust. Forgive this hankering for distant lanes. Give us brave archangels of morning sun. Mrs. Mother, hail the dull bulb of scratched spoons, for we must lift the humility of soup. Oh, deliver us from the sin of bread. Excuse the rough palm, its trespassing of skin. Mrs. Mother, oh, let us learn the hollow curse of curdled pans, the evil celibacy of the washing up the everlasting weight of a dowager's hump lead us not into the drowning of knives. Mrs. Mother, oh, pity thy uncovered fruit, pray for the sake of one small brown bruise, for the baptism of potatoes, for the hour of their laying bare, the mining of sprouted eyes. Mrs. Mother, oh, speak as one who stoops to crumbs, glory for the cumber of a used womb. Have mercy upon the quiet chapel of upturned cups. Suffer the ball's form, the smell of grass. Mrs. Mother, Oh, rise before such nights of bleak glass, light without end and light and light and light, and forever there shall be the sight of birds, invisible tastes of water. Amen. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jane. Thank you, you're very welcome. And thanks everybody for joining us. Yes, I hope you enjoy it. <laughs>